Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week, I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason. Welcome to Pretzelmania, may I take your order? And by engineer and podcast host, Sarah Ownby Chips. You know how computers listen, like it's like ones and zeros is all they understand. But what if it wasn't? On this episode, we discuss Johnny herself, Zendaya, in her Emmy-nominated role on HBO's brilliant but heart-wrenching series, Euphoria. We discuss how much high school has changed, a lot, just what drugs the kids are taking, and try to figure out who we're supposed to be relating to anyway. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Be cool like listeners MWJSTL and Michael P., and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, as it really helps new listeners find the show. And now, Euphoria. What is the game you're playing? Uh, Sarah, Sarah's husband and myself both started playing Crusader Kings 3, which is a story of dynastic conquest set in the Middle Ages in which a key part is breeding off your heirs to other prospective families. Yeah. Cementing yeah. political dynasties and whatnot. Yeah. And I guess Ian's yeah. getting involved in it. Like he's he gave away his nine-year-old kid. <laughs> to a 40-year-old woman. It's rough. So that they couldn't have children so that um, he the other son would kill him, I think. I don't <laughs> remember the whole logic. But I learned about it over uh, fish tacos, um, which were great. And so, and so, and now we're going to talk about euphoria. So it's really just like a lot of children suffering. <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. Suffering throughout the ages. Yeah. Ian told me that he worked out like a deal early on where even though he was like the king of Scotland or something, he married off his, like his son to like some Muslim, like to some like Persian kingdom or something like that. And so he yeah. was both the king of Scotland and also the king of like Persia, I guess. Yeah, but then you did you hear what happened after that? No, what happened? So he was in Scotland and he uh he took all all the people in his community, family, whatever that is, yeah. uh, converted Clan. to Islam. Oh yeah, he converted them mm-hmm. all. Yeah. yeah, it's he great. He converted them all. And so then everyone near them, like Ireland, everyone declared holy war and it was not good. Over. Oh, okay. No, he's on a new game now. <laughs> okay. It didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, to start over. His attempts to bring Allah into uh middle yeah. a- middle-aged Hibernia didn't, did not work they, out. They're already they're always they're already like Protestants, Catholics. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is not for us. Jihad's a rock, man. <laughs> this is, we can both agree this is bad. <laughs> right. I love it. That's great. That's great. I, I'm still trying to figure out what all the icons mean, so I'm slightly behind. Amazing. Well, Sarah Ownby Chips, welcome to Dune Pod. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on and to talk one of my favorite shows. Yes. Awesome. Well, we are really happy to have you here uh, tonight. But tell, tell us about your podcast. You got a podcast? Yeah, we're the Stack Overflow podcast. Um, uh, we talk about uh, technology in general and software things. It's a good podcast. Nice. It's great. Yeah, that's that's the whole slant. But it's pretty, it's really fun. We have a lot of fun with it. So we take something boring and make it kind of fun. You should guys you guys should check it out. It's a much more much more uh, it's a more popular podcast than this one. So it's very unlikely. You don't know. <laughs> Who knows? That, like you need the promotion. Wait till Doom comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
This is uh, season two, episode three, and we are talking about HBO's breakout high school drama, Euphoria. Yeah. Uh, Though, if you're in high school, you shouldn't watch it, probably. No. Yeah. It's not clear it's for anyone that's in high school. I think it's, I think actually, like, legally, you're not allowed to watch it. If I find it was a weird realization to me uh, yesterday when I was watching, like, five episodes in a row where I was like, oh, this is a, it is, it's a high school drama. It's an HBO yeah. high school drama. That is weird. Yeah, yeah. no, the, the creator, so there's a quote that I think unlocked a lot of it for me, which is that it's basically uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does my so-called life. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. Because it's, <laughs> it's kind of got like both the cinematography and like emotional vibe of like Magnolia. Um, yeah. But... Uh, but with like the setting of like my so-called life and like my so-called life is like name checked in the show. So it's clearly a yeah. touchstone for him as is Paul Thomas. Yeah. Plus Boz Lerman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. of Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to get, we're going to get into it. Obviously we're going to get deep at the bottom of the hour here uh, as we get into euphoria and break that down. But next week on Dune pod, uh, really excited. Uh, we are, there's two things that are going to be happening. First of all, we're going to be beginning what is called 70 millimeter month here on Dune Pod. And that is relative to, there's a podcast called 70 millimeter that some friends of mine run. And one of the three hosts is Proto Lexus, who is our, one of our key hosts here who joins us for all of our Dune read throughs. But in the month of September, we're going to have Proto as well as the other two hosts of 70 millimeter, Slim and Danny Haas join us to cover episodes. So the first one is going to be Slim, uh, who was a real inspiration for me in podcasting in general. And he is going to be with us to discuss Denny Villeneuve's Jake Gyllenhaal thriller from 2013, Enemy. Great. Have you seen that, sir? I have not seen it or heard it. Wait, wait what is it about? It's about... It's about uh, enemies. I don't want to get too far into it, but it's about Jake Gyllenhaal uh, <laughs> seeing another Jake Gyllenhaal and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, wow. So, don't watch any trailers. I'm not. Don't read either. anything. Just literally, yeah. just watch the movie. It is phenomenal. Great. Okay. Coming up we'll next week. So we're super excited about that. Shall we get into Dune news? Dune news. Would you like to know more? I want to say first of all, we have watched the trailer. Yes, we've watched the trailer, and we want to shout out uh, our own personal Fedakin Empire of Death Commando terror troops who send us leaks and other. Uh, key information. Thank you. You know who you are. We appreciate it. Uh, and so we have seen the trailer and it is, I think the first thing we need to clarify is it's not actually a trailer. It is a 30 second teaser, which is teasing the full length trailer, which will come on September 9th. One minute and 37 second okay. teaser. One minute and 37 but seconds. But it feels like 30 seconds. Yeah, wow. it feels fast. Yeah. And it's fire. It's a real, it's like, it's really good. It's really, it's definitely Dune. I can confirm 100% that it is stuff that happens in Dune. Wait, the, are, is this like a good, do we, do we have like Dune hot takes or is it more like No, 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 hot Dune? takes. Oh, you do whatever no, you no, want. No, no, yeah, for yeah, sure. Tell us this is a shit movie. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I was like, I watched the thing and I was like, man, I'm so behind, you know, the lead Paul, like Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Timothy Chalamet is playing. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm on like so, but like so down. Like I will pledge allegiance <laughs> to this man. Like follow him into the woods. And then I was like, oh man, is this gonna be like another guy like Timothy Chalamet is like gonna right. save everything again? <laughs> like there's a. I feel like there's a maybe? lot of those. So uh -huh. and maybe less excited. 
but I, I'm, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to be amped. I mean, I awesome. I really, yeah. I really loved it from a visual perspective. But now, obviously, we're watching a leak of the trailer, so it's like really grainy and, and very grungy, but I love the way Chalamet looks. His hair is like super grimy, and, and he is like, everything's dark, really darkly lit. Yeah. But also, we get a little sliver. I don't know if it's, if it's temp track or if it's the real thing, but you get a little sliver of Hans Zimmer's score, which sounded very, very cool. It, that was really good. Yeah. yeah. Has a good flavor there that, that I liked a lot. There's there's a lot of like there's in the scene the scene is we should say it's mostly anchored around the um Gomjabar scene in which Paul is tested uh by the Reverend Mother guys Helena Moham and she he's got the you know we see the Gomjabar we see the box of pain uh you know so it's it's centered around that idea uh and then uh, there's like intercut. It's basically like little flashes of like the other main characters, like no worms, brief shot of the desert, um, like no shields, no like nothing else really. It's just like the the pain room. But like that that scene looks like it's got some real atmosphere. Like I liked what I was seeing. Yeah, it seems like you could have a whole movie around that scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's literally the first scene in the book, and yeah. so it, it is like a really strong punch in the face uh, to start it out. So I really like that. So people are freaking out all across the web. Uh, a lot of excitement on that. You're starting to get some of the merchandise and things. I saw magnets uh, available for sale. I've purchased um, those. Wow. Coming soon. Okay. Good. Very. Are you yeah. a big magnet well. purchaser, yeah. or is it just? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably dangerous to have around because a toddler will eat <laughs> them. So. Uh, the other big thing that happened was Empire Magazine had their pre-order and had an incredible spread of photos. So you're getting tons of awesome photos across there. So by the time you listen to this, head out to Twitter, check out Dune Pods, Dune News List, which you can follow for all the latest information. Uh, but you'll definitely see lots of good shots that are out there right now. Yeah, and like more shots coming out like by the minute. Like there's a good shot of uh, Duncan Idaho, Jason Momoa, Aquaman playing Duncan Idaho, like fighting with like his big sword and his little box cutter. Uh, and then there's like, uh, there was a shot today of like all of the Har uh, Harkonnen troops, like this massive scene of like, just like thousands and thousands of Harkonnen troops, like loading up to go take Arrakis. Uh, and so there's just, a, and there's, and the other thing was there's some good desert footage of uh, where they shot it in Jordan, uh, Wadi Rum. Mm. Uh, and this desert looks fucking awesome. Like, I mean, I think one of the things we talked about when we covered David Lynch's Dune is that the desert that they shot in, which is uh, around Mexico City, um, kind of just looked pretty bland. Like, it was basically just a bunch of sand. Um, mm -hmm. But, like, Wadi Rum is not a bunch of sand. It is a bunch of, like, you know, sandstone, like, carved out of, etched out of the desert by, like, millennia of sandstorms. It looks like a place where a sand would, would live. So I'm, I'm pretty hyped. Nice. My concern now is, you know, the running joke is that I don't think this movie is ever going to come out. I Now I'm concerned this movie is definitely going to come out. And the problem is going to be... <laughs> the flip it was sudden. It's yeah. just like, bam. And the problem is going to be that this movie is supposed to come out on December 18th, mm. which means that it will come out during, like, peak flu season of a pandemic wherein I have a a one-month-old newborn and a toddler at home. And it just seems likely that I'm not going to see this movie like for a very long time. Have you, have you thought at all about doing kind of like the NBA thing of putting a, I have to go like in a the bubble in a bubble, living yes. in the bubble yes. for a while and then... Great. You have to sell it to Crystal uh, <laughs> that I'm going to go live in a bubble. So uh, you guys can all go live in the bubble. Oh. For the okay. movie, but they may not want to. She may not want no, to. No, yeah, it may be more. It may be a tougher sell. I think I will go live in a bubble to watch the movie. Uh, I'll be gone for a month. I'm picturing yeah. you with like 
you got toddler on the back, you got baby on the front. It's like a 10 a.m. showing. You're like rocking the whole the whole time trying yeah. to make it happen. Mm. Do you think it's going to be like, I remember, well, I mean, this is it was kind of not the same. I mean, I did wear those like a full body like space outfit to go see Ender's Game when it came out at midnight because I was like so oh. hyped. Uh, Great yeah. idea. I could uh, wear I could wear like a still suit slash uh, like COVID prevention like thingy. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's like cosplay for, plush, like good hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's really true. I think I hope that I hope it's better for you than Ender's Game was for me. What happened? Oh, the movie's just not very yeah, good. It's just not good. Yeah, no, it's not good. I didn't watch no, it. It's terrible. I didn't watch it. It's really awful. Yeah. 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 First book is amazing. I, I really yeah. love the first book for sure. But yeah, it's a complicated, that's a complicated one. Uh, on many, many, many yeah. levels. More children doing questionable things. It's really <laughs> yeah. a theme for the night. <laughs> yeah. Send your nine year olds off to get married or into like, you know, super Space soldier war. battle. Yeah. 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 Um, I do want to close off Dune News with a quote from Empire Magazine. So Denny was interviewed as part of the magazine. And when asked about 1984's Dune by David Lynch and Dino De Laurentiis, which we covered two weeks ago on the pod, he said, quote, I'm a big David Lynch fan. He's the master. When I saw Lynch's Dune, I remember being excited, but his take, there are parts that I love and other elements that I'm less comfortable with. So it's like, I remember being half satisfied. That's why I was thinking to myself, there's still a movie that needs to be made about that book. Just a different sensibility. Very generous. Promising. From, from Mr. Yeah. Villeneuve. Yeah. I, I was reading that uh, in, in my head. It was Fred. I do not like this. <laughs> I do not like this. It is not good. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely a rough. I mean, yeah. He's going he's gonna to do, do a good job. So here's what struck me uh, when I read this. And I meant to say this on our Lynch episode. Um, in the interview with Roger Deakins on Team Deakins podcast, Denny said, I could never have gone from Prisoners in 2013 straight to Dune. Like, I just couldn't have made the movie. I had to make Arrival. I had to make Blade Runner 2049. Now I'm ready to do Dune. And that's what happened. Lynch went from Elephant Man, a small, independent, black and white film, to one of the largest budget Hollywood films ever made sci-fi epic. And he just wasn't prepared to be able to make that jump. Yeah. Also not surprising that the director of Arrival would believe in like a fatalistic universe in which he had to go through all the struggles that came before in order to end up directing this movie about prescience. Yeah. Fair enough. Wait, which one is Arrival? Was Arrival the one with the aliens and the signs in the wall? Okay, yeah. 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 Yep. Amy yeah. Adams, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. Yeah. All right, Skip, we have a hep we have a um a podcast on that too. A heptopodcast, if you will. <laughs> I don't I don't Nerd. Was it a reference? Cause, yeah, because the hep the heptopods are the aliens. Oh yeah, okay, have, great. So. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but you can really... edit in me laughing to that because I know. Yeah, know. put in a laugh right there, like a really good one. Because that was a <laughs> oh, great yeah. joke. Ready, go. And cut. It was a quiet laugh. Okay. All right. Well, I'll put some. I'll put some uh, captions over the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. We'll you can just do it and do it in the transcripts. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, shall we get into it? Yes. Yes. Euphoria is the struggle to survive, even just to breathe. 17-year-old Rue Bennett is a drug addict. 
Diagnosed as a young child with OCD, depression, anxiety, and maybe bipolar disorder, she's been popping pills, smoking, snorting, and dosing for years. After a massive overdose and coma nearly kills her, she completes a stint in rehab and returns to pick up the pieces of her shattered life and to score drugs, of course. Rue thinks she has nothing to live for until she meets Jules, the new girl in town. But when Jules stumbles headlong into an abusive triangle relationship with the damaged football captain Nate and his twisted father, Rue is sucked into danger alongside her. Weaving in and out of Rue's life are her friends who are neck deep in their own battles. A shy flower living in her sister's shadow, her sister the sexually exploited train wreck, and her conflicted but thoughtful boyfriend. A budding fanfic writer, video chat dominatrix seizing her own sexual power, and Nate's abused and spurned girlfriend. Against this backdrop, can Rue overcome fear, longing, and addiction to find love and acceptance? Or will she tear her family apart again? Euphoria. Mm. Euphoria. It sounds like a sounds like a just a lovely stroll down a <laughs> happy lane. That's great. It's such a good show. Uh, I keep trying to show it to people, and they're like, "Why are you Why are you showing me this? This is really stressful and sad." Yeah, I was really, I was really glad that we did Euphoria the week after we did Little Women, where like I was like mm. kind of not into Little Women because it was a little too happy and like a little too upbeat. Yeah, uh, and like this is then, not that. And then we watched Euphoria. <laughs> we started watching Euphoria. I was like, yes, this is what I want. Like just yeah. fucking despair, but gorgeous. Um, it's a, I love this show. I I'd forgotten how much I liked it until I was rewatching it. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. So, so Sarah, you actually called this episode like three months ago when we first started the podcast and we talked about some stuff there. I think Jason shared some of our list and, and you called for it. Part of my challenge, I have a 23-year-old daughter. Mm. Um, so some of these issues and sort of setting are, are very relevant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I imagine that's really difficult. I think it's kind of like <laughs> a coming of age story for me because I am torn between both like, oh, that's me. Like that fun high school person is me. And like, oh my God, that could be my daughter. And I'd lock her in a closet. I'd never let her out. <laughs> that's very, it's very like, that's a coming of age thing where it's like, you don't know which, who to identify with more. And I totally. think also, I think it's an interesting generational thing that goes on with this show because I think it's basically like sort of like a Gen X created show showing Gen like Z, but like to sort of torment millennials in a way, like to kind of like be like, you know, it's like, it's this like multi-generational thing because like millennials are like, come on, like, you know, like this is blah, 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 you know, like there's like a big millennial, like, like backlash to this show, Uh, but it's not, it's not really about millennials. It's about the generation that's younger than millennials. Right. And so it's an interesting, and so, but I think it's like, I think there's something about it. Well, one hint is that almost all of the episode titles are nineties hip hop songs, like are are like the titles Mm. of like nineties hip hop. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like, and like, it is like, there's a lot of like the, my so-called life reference. And like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's just like mm-hmm. very much like a Gen X dude who himself had addiction issues, like wrote this show. Um, and like, and so there's an interesting generational, like kind of warfare thing going on here, which I love because, uh, you know, the Gen X is the forgotten generation. We got to have something. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Don't get no respect. <laughs> yeah. 
so we're going to get spoilerific uh, through this, and we're going to cover a couple of episodes in in some detail, and then I think we're going to talk broadly about the rest of the the rest of the show, and and try not to ruin everything towards the towards the end of it. Um, starting with the pilot uh, episode one, you know, right out of the gate with uh, you know Rue in the womb, I was happy once and content, and describing being born three days after nine eleven. That was pretty powerful, the idea of this entire generation having been raised in the shadow of 9-11 and, uh, you know, endless war and multiple financial crises. Spoiler, it didn't get better after, <laughs> after that, like for this generation. Yeah, no shit. It's not, yeah. it's not working out so well. No, it's not going great for them. Yeah, it is really wild uh, thinking about that. And yeah, endless war is really interesting. There used to be the concept of wars. Yeah. Right? Like where you, like where doing a war and then you're not doing a war anymore. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really, that's not really what this uh, generation has experienced at all. They also like with that, with that womb shot, like kind of established like the stylistic palette for the whole show, like this purple mm-hmm. pink, like kind of tone mm-hmm. that's going to be a big, you know, a big color marker for the whole, for the whole show. Um, yeah. They, they come out of the gate swinging. Like, they're like, look, like, this is going to be a thing. Like, you're going to have to get comfortable with, like, how this is put together. The cuts, like, the, the motion of the camera, like, the palette, like, the super plussed up, like, color dynamic of it. And, um, yeah, for me, I was just like, yes, I'm ready. Take me. Yeah. Yeah. And it really... Th- it thrives on her voiceover, right? Through the whole, through the whole thing. She is this mm-hmm. narrator. She describes herself as being an unreliable narrator, um, but it's just, it's, it's amazing to have her walking through that. And she does, you know, quickly describe. You see her as a young child, OCD, ADD, general anxiety. Again, maybe bipolar disorder. And her mom saying, "Hey, you know, a lot of great people have struggled with that. You know, Van Gogh, Sylvia Plath, yeah, Brittany. Like I that. really respect that they went and shot like the Sylvia Plath scene of her putting her head in the oven. Like that yeah. whole that that shot is like maybe four seconds or something. Like, yeah. and it's gorgeous. Like the whole they did like a whole set dressing in a pilot of just Sylvia Plath. Like Sylvia Plath's outfit is period correct. Like all this shit. Like they did for like a five second shot or something. It was mm-hmm. great. Yeah." Yeah, the whole thing is very um, extra is the only word I can think of. Yeah, but when it comes to like uh, the production quality, is uh, it seems like there's a big budget there. Yes, they had some money. Totally, and and one of the big standouts for that is anytime there is drug use on the show. So you have, um, you know, very quickly um, we have Rue starting boozing and snorting and her describing the notion of wanting to get to that two seconds of nothingness. And then it happens. That moment when your breath starts to slow. And every time you breathe, you breathe out all the oxygen you have. And everything stops. Your heart your lungs, and finally your brain. And everything you feel and wish and want to forget, it all just sinks. And then suddenly, you give it air again, give it life again. And that, and then it goes to the credits. And it's like, 
holy shit. There, I love that there's the shot of her doing like the hula hoop as the little girl before it goes to the credits. Like, I just mm-hmm. think that, like, basically, actually, if you go back and look, like, every credit shot when they go to the Euphoria title card is amazing. Like, the way they put together, like, it's a real statement about the show. Like, the music cue, like, the thing that happens, like, right before it, it's it's really well done. The The thing about this show, like, I guess, like, taking a step back before we go through the, the whole po- the plot of this pilot is, like, it is a ridiculously dense show. Like, there's multi, you know, each, mm-hmm. each episode has like a different kind of character point of view in which they're kind of doing the backstory of that character. But at the same time, yep. they're advancing like the narrative across like four or five different stories. And it's all very tightly wound together uh, and is also wrapped up in this like, uh, you know, hyper real visual style uh, and like, you know, visual and musical style. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more into the soundtrack, but it's like, it's unbelievable how they use music in this, in this show. Uh, and so you're really like, you know, it's asking a lot of the audience. Like, it's one of those shows that's like, you know, you're going to have to do some work to kind of hold all of this together. And as I was re-watching it for this podcast, I was surprised by how much I had forgotten um, because it's just so dense that you can't actually hold the whole show in your head mm. um, unlike, you know, something else. Yeah, I find it really emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Like, just you get through, you get you you have this, like, emotional attachment to certain characters. And especially, I found myself really loving Rue, like, learning about her struggles and her her family's struggles and just watching how she grew up and how difficult it was for her and how difficult it was for her family. And then you're just kind of plunged into this world that she's in with all these people having different struggles. And I feel like at the end, you kind of you walk away like, whew, I can't, that I just took on a lot. Yeah, it's draining. <laughs> totally. I mean, so much rests on Zendaya's shoulders, and I, I just think she, start to finish, is, is phenomenal. Both the way she moves, her energy, her ability to portray the highs and lows. Um, similar to Joe March last week, that strength as well as the vulnerability really, really comes through in a, in a powerful way. Yeah. So I love it. She gets out of rehab, and, you know, typically you're like, hey, you know, let's celebrate. This is great news getting out of rehab. But you definitely don't have that sense that things are going to be okay. Um, her sister Gia, excited to see her mom a little more reserved. But then we have the first introduction as they're taking the car on their way home where she sees Jules uh, on her bike. So can we just talk about Hunter Schaefer playing Jules on the show? I love Hunter Schaefer. I'm obsessed with her. I I follow all her Instagrams and all her fan Instagrams. And I just like find her to be such a great Gen Z icon, uh, both in style and the um, yeah maybe just in style in general. Like she's she's modeled a lot as well. And I think that's one thing you can if you follow the stars of this show in general. Like, obviously Zendaya, obviously Hunter Schaefer, but even the girl playing Maddie and um, the, the other characters, they have an amazing style and are making um, an impact in the world of fashion and beauty. It's really neat. She had just like these amazing, like her um, eyelid game, eyeshadow yeah. or whatever, like all the stuff that was pasted on. There was one scene where she had like clouds drawn on, on her eyes. Like it was just, it was a great look. Yeah. I follow that makeup artist. It's a one makeup artist that did it for all of them. And um, wow. she's, her work's wow. very amazing. Now, now I want to find her. Uh, I read a thing where basically she did um, 
a different look for Jules and all the characters, like based on whatever outfit they were wearing. Like, so if like you see like a two second shot of Jules in some other outfit, like she's got a distinct like eye makeup like yeah. uh, deal for just like that. Uh, but I mean, it's it's you know this this the show's now like a year old. Like the eye makeup. True, the eye makeup of the show was like a cultural phenomenon at the time. Like I remember, I like da- downloaded mm. like an Instagram filter so that I could like you know use like the the eye makeup from the show. On, no like, way! Oh, oh, I missed yeah. that one. Oh no, I post. I'll, I'll we'll include that in show notes. My attempts to maybe you should restart that with yeah. like you know your your COVID your COVID my look. COVID that, deranged that could help my deranged hairy Jew look. No, it's not. Really. <laughs> I don't, there's nothing that can say Daniela Davy is the name of the um of the makeup artist. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And she had like a different theory of, and all the characters. I mean, not just Jules. Jules is the most amazing, but like all the characters. No, have Maddie, like, Maddie had yeah. tons of like glistening little, stuff around her eyes. Bedazzled stuff. bits. Yeah. 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 So um, obviously priority number one for Rue is scoring. So she heads over to two of my favorite characters on the show by far. Fez and Ashtray. Yeah. I um, love so, Ashtray. Is yeah. he eight or nine? I don't know, but every moment he is on, every line he says is just. I thought your ass was dead. I thought you had Asperger's, so I realized you're just a prick. This is a fickle industry. Y'all come and go. I'm just trying to stack my cash, pay off our mortgage. So what the fuck you want? He's so good. Have you got to the part where he's like selling crypto? Yeah, the part oh, yeah. where he explains Bitcoin was a, yeah. was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. That's literally so what good. it was invented for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was okay. he was really he was really terrific. Um so I love that. Um and and I just love Fez's whole vibe. You know, she describes him as rotating in the other direction from the rest of the world. Um but he really comes through as a as as a genuine and and thoughtful good person through the show, although obviously he's doing, you know, very suspect and and shady things. Yeah, truly a heartbreaking. Oh no, it's, his his name's Angus Cloud and this was his first credit. He's never wow. done anything before this, which I thought was ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah, the character in general is like a real uh, dimensional character. It becomes clear, I think, throughout the series, spoiler, that the reason he's doing this is to, he has a mother with severe health issues that he takes care of. And uh, it becomes clear that that is why this is important, that he would not be able to support her otherwise. Well, he also discovers that um, sometimes you have uh, supply being you know demand being pushed down from the supply side that you don't have control over so he ends up himself way in over deep um and struggling with his own challenges um, yeah which which i thought was really cool um so so rue scores um but she has to pass a piss test uh for her mom so she hits up lexi maude apatow who has been incredible since this is 40 oh She's amazing in that. She and her sister are both in, in that and are hilarious. Oh. They're the kids in, in This is 40. And also, I guess, knocked up uh, when they were even younger. Hilarious uh, in those movies. And she's great here. Yeah. She plays like the same role, a uh, very similar role. She was, played the same, a very similar role in King of Staten Island. I don't know if you saw it. Mm, I haven't seen it yet. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She plays the uh, sister who's very good and everyone roots for but doesn't get enough attention. Mm-hmm. You know, through the midst of this, Rue reflecting on um, you know her flashback to her OD and the impact of Gia from have her sister of finding her, um, and I just love this is a real moment of honesty from from Rue where she says, "I know a lot of you probably hate me right now, and I get it. 
If I could be a different person, I promise you, I would. Not because I want it, but because they do. And therein lies the catch. Which to me is like the central theme of this entire project is how does she deal with the struggle with depression, anxiety, and addiction versus not wanting to hurt her family? Yeah, it's really tough. I think that is a, a story for a lot of addicts, I'm sure. It's, I mean, it's, it's a rough one, man. It's a rough one. Like, I mean, I think, like the, so one of the things in this show is that there's basically two characters that are primarily dealing with um, trauma and like, and, and like are, are kind of processing that through pathology. And like Rue is like dealing with the trauma of her dad uh, and is, uh, and also, you know, she's like OCD before that, but like it is dealing with that through addiction. Um, and like Rue is like the one character that's like really addicted to drugs. Like there's a lot of drug use in the show, but like Rue is like an addict, like she's got a different pathology. Uh, the other character is Nate, who uh, has uh, this experience when he's a kid where he realizes something, he realizes that his, his dad is living this secret life um, and has this other sexual identity. And like from that develops his own kind of like dominant uh, revenge-based sexual identity mm-hmm. uh, that becomes pathological unto himself. And like that's like sort of the dynamic between the antagonist and the protagonist in the show is the the two of them are are set up like processing their traumas through those two different pathological drives. Oh, such an interesting way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I'm so quick to like uh, be like, oh, Nate's a piece of garbage and <laughs> Rue is a sweet angel. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, she is the hero. I mean, she's, you know, the anti-hero and yeah. like, and like, and Nate is, the, Nate is like a unbelievable villain. And I think like, that's like, yeah. that's like one of the things in rewatching the show that, I did kind of clue into is that you're kind of set up from the beginning and we're almost at the scene now where like Nate is like the, uh, kind of stereotypical jock in high school who's like, just kind of sucks because he like has like a, you know, like a porn based attitude towards sex and like women. And like, he just kind of sucks, but like, he's like generic suck, uh, as opposed to like, you know, American psycho suck. Yeah. Uh, and like, and like you realize like watching it the second time, I was like, no, 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 no. That dude is, there's something broken. And like, he's got, he's like working, he's like activated on like some different level than anyone else uh, in the show. But there, there are some, there are some layers to him that I think are oh, yeah. more complex. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I definitely relate. Like I, I hated Nate. Like literally. That so the next scene is the party at McKay's house, mm-hmm. um, where where Nate starts oh, yeah. by almost running over Jules and causing her to crash. Yeah, um, what an but, intro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but then my notes from the pre-party uh, at McKay's house where Nate is holding court. All the guys have their shirts off. Why does no one have a yeah. shirt on? Yeah. Okay. I, I was going to ask about that. I thought I asked Ian, my partner. I asked him while we were watching. I was like, do you guys. Do you guys just like do this? Do you like go nope. get together? Nope. Everyone takes nope. off their shirt and just hangs nope. out. Nope. It's Definitely an interest. I think I think it's maybe worth I, that. Definitely stands out. Also, it's this ridiculously lit scene where everything's purple and pink. Uh, and you know, so it's it's again kind of cueing you into the visual language of the show. Everyone's got their shirt off. This show has an interesting relationship with like uh, like male bodies. I mean, I think this show has more frontal male frontal nudity than like. I don't know anything I've seen. Like, I mean, like there's, I, there's basically more dicks in the show than like, than <laughs> like lot. any, I mean, than 
For any sure. HBO show. I mean, even like Game of Thrones, like which had a bunch of dicks. Like this show has not close. This show has a <laughs> lot of dicks, and like in a way that like kind of becomes like. You know, they it's kind of clear they know they're putting a lot of dicks on screen. And so like it's, you know, like they they have like a whole PowerPoint presentation on dicks. And so I think they I think like they're really making they're doing some kind of like subversive thing about like high school, uh high school sex comedies there where they're mm-hmm. making such a point to like objectify the male body mm-hmm. um in a way that I think mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, they Maybe? do it to, they kind of do it to both, I think. Um, I mean, there's like very not- little boobs though in this show. Like, I mean, there's very little mu- nudity otherwise. Like, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of like, there's a lot of like questionable outfits, but like, it's yeah. the most of the nudity is male nudity in this show. Interesting. Yeah. Someone said to me once, is it just me or is the show someone? And by someone, I mean my partner. We were watching it and he said, is it me or the show really male gazy? And I didn't think so. Because but that made me wonder if it made me well, so this is I mean, this is one of the criticisms that comes out about the show, too, which is like how like is this just gratuitous teenage shit like wrapped in like a very high production um rapper? Um, and like, I mean, yes, like there, there, like there is, that is true. But like, I think, I don't think the point, and like, there's definitely like was a strain of criticism that was primarily like, and it's interesting that Ian was the one that voiced this because I think this was the millennial knock on the show was that this was just like, uh, you know, like scantily clad, like, you know, sort of like, um, you know, whatever pure interest stuff, like wrapped in like a highbrow package. But I don't think I don't think that's true. I think like the visual style of the show is really meant to like amp up the emotional stakes of like the viewer for the viewer and it's meant to make you feel like it's meant to make you feel like the way high school feels, which is that like everything matters and like every moment is like the most important thing that's ever mattered and it's life or death at any given time and like that's like that's like I think what's what's interesting about what's going on here. It's definitely not titillating or like purient or like this is a turn on situation for any of this. Right. Like the, the, the situations are all almost all bad. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not very gratuitous in that way. Like it's not like, yeah. Right. Right. Any, any sex scene is like some intense power struggle that's happening between two people and who has control and who doesn't have control and who gets power through that. And in, and informed by like sort of the narrative of like, you know, all of these kids like sex lives are informed by the fact that they are the first generation to have had access to hardcore pornography from like the time they were eight or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, really which wild. I think is, I mean, that is like a big, that is a big generational divide. Right. I mean, like, you know, like this is something that like that, that generation really did have impress upon their sexual consciousness. So this is important, right? So at this, at the pre-party where the guys have their shirts off, um, you have Nate is really dissing Cassie because, uh, who's Lexi's sister because McKay likes her and it's mm-hmm. kind of established pretty quickly. McKay seems like kind of a nice guy. Yeah. Um, he's defending her and being thoughtful, but then they're talking about how, you know, she's done bad things. And Nate says they're going to quote, take a trip to the land of shame. My, my notes were her, where the world is terrible. These guys are awful. Like this is where yeah. I, this is my first pass of like, this is really bad. Um, and you do have this moment where Rue says, here's the fucking thing that pisses me off about the world. Like, every time someone's shit gets leaked, whether it's J-Law or Leslie Jones, the whole world's like, well, if you don't want it out there, don't take the news in the first place. I'm sorry. I know your generation relied on flowers and father's permission, but it's 2019. And unless you're Amish, nudes are the currency of love. So stop shaming us. 
shame the assholes who create password-protected online directories of naked underage girls. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like, I grew up I grew up with the internet, but it was, like, BBSing in St. Louis, Missouri. We did not have yeah, password-protected revenge porn sites. Like, that is yeah, not a thing. Yeah, I mean, am I dumb? Is that a, I mean, I know that's a thing, but, like, is it's that a, a thing. normal thing? I think it's a big thing. I think it's, I yeah. mean, because, like, there's been enough cases where it's been busted where, like, mm. like, I think every school has, like, some sort of private directory or private stash of, like, mm. places where people swap the the nudes. Oh, so rough. That's rough. And like, yeah. that's, that's just the way that it is for, mm. for this generation. Um, and so you also have this moment that for me was one of the toughest in the, in the thing where McKay is hooking up with Cassie at the party and mm-hmm. then he gets aggressive and they stop and, you know, she says, Hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't about to be a rape. And then you have this porn, uh, montage that it was very upsetting. Yeah. And then this notion of Nate being concerned and she says, well, just ask me first before you choke me. Yeah. Uh, it's like the world is complicated, it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I think it's very desensitized, very desensitized to what we thought was risque. It's like they think it's like a Tuesday when they accidentally Googled something weird. Yeah. Yeah. So set against this, you have Jules going to a hotel for a hookup yeah. with Dominant Daddy. Yeah. And Rue narrating saying she would have been better just going to McKay's, which just gives you that much more attention. But all of that scene, just open your mouth wider. And uh, Eric Dane McSteamy, who plays Dominant Daddy, uh, I thought he was really, really good in this role. And it was deeply upsetting. Yeah, same. Both of those. He is really good in this role. Yeah. I love that they cut from that back to the party. And Rue says, And then? The night got weird. And I literally turned to my wife. I was like, and then? Uh, But when she takes the drug, the spinning hallway shot as she sort of- This is some good shit. I loved that. Yeah, that was so good. And like, again, like the, so I want to, I mean, the visual of like the inception, like style, like spinning hallway is obviously visually arresting. However, the music cue in that scene is also phenomenal because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically, uh, so the song is like, I know there's going to be good times by J- Jamie XX and Young Thug. And uh, you hear the hook before she do- goes into the bathroom to take the drugs. And it's just mm. like the hook of the song. And then she does a song, she does, a, she does the drugs and the, the song kicks in for real. And there's this whole effect of the song kind of like fading in and out. Like, you know, it's this hallucinatory kind of effect of like you hear different parts of the song and the way that it's crossfaded in is just amazingly well done. Like the mu- the music production in this show is fucking un- unbelievable. Like most of the most of like the background tracks were done by uh, Labyrinth, and the whole soundtrack's like amazing. Yeah, I listen to that soundtrack all the time. Oh my god, so it's just so Labyrinth good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, really, I was really, really phenomenal. Scene. Yeah, really phenomenal. And I love the fact that as she's walking, other people are not they're not flipping. And so in the Inception fight scene, right, the, he's, he's flipping with the other guy. Yeah, but so it made it way more intense and interesting um, that way. There's also a shitload of everything else going on at the party. Nate and Maddie are tormenting each other, which is like we described in Call Me By Your Name, that notion of when you're desperately trying to get someone else to notice that you're doing something. This is like that times a hundred or at times a thousand yeah. where she's like boning the guy in the pool, Tyler, who... <laughs> 
Poor rewatching Tyler. rewatching Poor it today, I was like, okay, Tyler, you're a fucking asshole for being at the party in the first place, but also I kind of feel bad that you're yeah, about oh, to yeah, swept also, up. Yeah, also he's a fucking <laughs> asshole for being at the party in the first place. I forgot. He's like, the, he's like the older guy that graduated forever ago that's still going to high school parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, maybe not poor Tyler. You also have Kat who is going to sleep with a guy at a party, right? She's drinking and having a good mm. time and, and trying to get some sense. I, um, McKay's brothers, thing one and thing two. I love those yeah, guys through the great. whole they're series. Such a funny character, yeah. Together. And the guy, the guy that she sleeps with has like the Dr. Yui mustache situation, like the little yeah. tiny pencil, oh, like great. wet mustache. It wasn't great. Oof. Thumbs down. There's, yeah. a, there's a couple things like with both Fez and like little mustache guy, like there's a couple things here where I think it gives you like strong, um, like kids vibes. Like I, I think mm-hmm. like, you know, there's like, there's sort of like these non-actors who are like, like playing like, you know, who are playing like degenerate teenagers, which sort of does harken back to if you're of my generation, like what kids was like kids. to see, um, yeah. you know, when it came out. Yep. Yep. Um, I did love Fez. Um, so I didn't catch the first time when she went and bought drugs from Ashtray. I didn't catch that Fez was her dealer. And so that makes it even better when, when he tells her. I'm serious, Rue. I've seen a lot of people die. None like you. Nah, I don't know what type of fucked up shit you got going inside your head. And I don't know how to help. But I could tell you one thing. Is drug shit it's not the answer. <laughs> right. He's so good. When your dealer tells you that, it's yeah. like, that's a problem. All right, so Nate freaks out seeing Maddie. Um, he freaks out in the, in the kitchen. Jules is in there. He gets in her face. She draws a knife. Um, and I love how he turns chicken shit immediately when faced yeah. with somebody who is willing to stand up against him. And then she goes further to cut herself um, to really freak everybody out. And then she's like, I'm Jules. I'm new in town. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Rue is like immediately smitten and goes home with her after the party. Um, I watch that scene. I, I often, I think about, you know, like uh, what fear she must have. Like, uh, so Hunter Schaefer is a transgender woman. And I think a lot about how um, in that hypothetical scene, you know, the, the, the thing that's going through her mind is just like all the statistics, all the things, you know, like yeah. this, the, I'm backed in this corner, you know, and what, what is going to get me out of this? Cause this isn't, you know, this isn't going to end well. She has that line where she says like, I knew it was going to end in violence and I didn't want to have a broken cheekbone. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and I was, it's like, it's, it's pretty grim. I like, I think it's worth saying here too, like, um, like this is a show that introduces a trans character without making a big deal about like sort of signposting like, Hey, this is a trans character, you know, like it, it doesn't like, it doesn't do it in a way that's like, um, you know, like just like, Hey, like the identity, like the, the, the gender identity of this character is like, you know, like the, the labeling that's important for you to understand like the show. Yeah. Part of the Um, plot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really well done. And like the, I think like, you know, it's as a, as, as a, as a predominant, like, you know, as one, it was one of like sort of the leading transgendered characters on, on, on a major show. I think it kind of breaks ground uh, in terms of in the, in that way. So I I I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I love that about it. 
So the the capstone of the episode is Nate gets home. He's still drunk, um, and he walks upstairs, and we have the big reveal that uh, with the family photo that his dad is dominant daddy. So we we know there's going to be big problems. So like, I was sort of my stomach was completely ripped up inside watching this episode. And then mm-hmm. when you got to that reveal, I was like, holy shit. Okay, come on, let's get into let's get into episode two um, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So. What is the hip hop reference for stunting like my daddy? Uh, I think that I mean that's like an actual song. That's like yeah. that 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 is not a '90s hip hop song. <laughs> okay, that's Lil Wayne though. So it's like 2000s. Okay, it's Lil yeah. Wayne and Birdman. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned this earlier, Jason. Uh, that each episode features a different character. Yeah. For the intro, and I noticed today when I was watching the finale episode eight. The first 10 minutes is Cassie, just nonstop um, in, in terms of her story. I just mm-hmm. thought that was, that was wild how they, they keep They keep it going, the, yeah. Yeah. One part that I thought was this really nice head fake at the beginning, Rue talks about the fact that when she's high, she thinks she has superpowers. Um, and then it goes into Nate as a kid with him discuss, uh, discovering his dad's video hookup stash and starting to work out and starting to be like really intense and kind of dealing with anger and yelling in the mirror and whatnot. I, I didn't have that. I don't know about you, Jason. Like what was your bench pressing regimen? Didn't get a lot of reps in as mm. a kid. It was really, was really busy BBSing <laughs> and hanging out in IRC. So that kept me, that kept me reading off, analog, kept me out of the gym. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, again, like I think the reason why I think they introduced Nate uh, in the second episode because he is the antagonist of the show. And like, he does have like understanding Nate's like origin story and like what happened to Nate is like as important as understanding what happened to Rue. Yeah. Yeah. To really like, uh, queue up for the series. Yeah. And like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that like, you know, his like, he's got this notion that he's got to like defend women in this like kind of twisted way and he's got like fantasy. Yeah. And like, you know, he doesn't want to like, you know, he's got like some, aversion to seeing penises that like, you know, is, is based on like, you know, this sexual exposure that he had when he was a kid. So there's like, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of building of his pathology that happens in the very beginning of the second episode, which I think is kind of indicative of how important his character is in the, in the show, even though he's obviously terrible and the piece of shit reaction is definitely justified. Yeah. (laughs) I love Maddie decides that she's going to just choose a line and go with it. She's going to say that she blacked out and then she's going to basically pull Nate. She'd rather have Nate on her side than, than against her. So we cut from there straight to Rue and Jules. And this is like their first night together. And they decide that they're going to do drugs. They're going to do the pills that Ashtray uh, gave them. And she just says she has no, no idea what they are. I love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like I- yeah. IOT47 or something like that. And like <laughs> 2CT2, 2CT7, and 5-me-old-D-I-P-T. I'm sorry, I have zero fucking idea what you just said. Doesn't matter. For this shit... Is fucking lit. There's like an age in life where that's a thing. I think it's definitely a thing. Like I remember when I moved to I'm when I moved to San Francisco and like the early tech scene in 2000s. Like the smart drug scene of like people. Yes. Oh yeah. I just got like you know like this fucking acronym and like what is it? Great. Like yeah. Like yeah. (laughs) It's like yeah. (laughs) I just got raid five. It's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And like you know yeah. Do I need water or do I? Yeah. I never did raid five, so I don't know. I, don't know. I still don't know what it does. <laughs> raid five. Yeah. Uh, so they they do have this great 
piece where they're, they take the drugs and you have all of the colors of saturation, right? You have the shot mm. of like all the glistening and especially on, um, on Jules' face, her entire face is glittering. Yeah. And yeah. you have all the, the music is going in and out and all these sound effects. And then they cut to just the two of them face to face with no sound and no nothing. So you get sort of like, what's the reality of what's happening? And it's like the uh, the scene in Freaks and Geeks where uh, Jason uh, Siegel's playing Rush downstairs in the basement by himself, and he thinks he's like they play it like he's playing it perfectly, and then it's right. actually just him doing something terrible. That was that was awesome. I saw some description that Jules like bedroom is supposed to feel like a nest, uh, mm. which I really which I really liked because it had like oh, sort of this, yeah, it's like kind of like in an attic. It feels like it's in like a little perch. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like that. Yeah. So you do have, Rue describes, uh, you know, she has a good experience with Jules through this process. And she says, you know, I'm not supposed to say this, but drugs are cool. Right. Dot, dot, dot. Until they wreck your life and your family. That's when they get uncool. It's actually a very narrow window of cool. And once you pass through that window of cool, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is, again, like the theory of the show, which is like there's one character who is a drug addict in the show and like everyone else is just like a teenager. Um, and like that's like sort of the difference between the relationship to drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice that she is uh, such a good antihero because I think there's a lot of empathetic. I think in real life, the drug addicts that I have met are very gregarious and have... Yeah. Really interesting and dimensional lives and are annoying and hurt people near them. But also if you sit down with them and have a conversation, it could be a really fun time. Really fun mm -hmm. at parties. Like, yeah, I yeah. mean, like, yeah, exactly. There's, there's, it's not just like, oh, they're completely a drain on society or something like that. Yeah. Well, so Rue is called to share a memory in school. And this is where we have a, a really kind of um, challenging montage of mm -hmm. her and all of this is set to this Bobby Womack cover of Fly Me to the Moon. That was so gorgeous. Like, I yeah. couldn't believe this song. And all of the ups and downs of the family and the positives and the negatives of dealing with a, a drug addict that her mother and sister were, were trying to deal with. I just thought that was so, so powerful. I love the scenes of like her, her sister, uh, Gia, who's played by Storm Reed, he's really good, um, like dancing, like in, the, in that little montage. Like yeah. she does like a little shit, she does like some brush your dirt off your shoulders dance. And like, she's like, she's just doing like, mm -hmm. she's doing some good like stuff in the front seat of the car later. And it's really good. So we do have this, uh, we have this first time introdu uh, introduced that Rue started taking Oxy from hanging out with her dad and the fact that her dad had cancer and that she was taking care of him. Mm. Her mom was working two jobs to try and keep things together. And I did notice when she took Oxy that first time, um, all of us, yeah. uh, the song yeah. by Labyrinth and Zendaya came up. Yeah. And I started to realize as I was listening, it's, it's like woven through the whole series. Yeah. 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 It just, it keeps flowing through. And you know like, when it's like significant because that song is on. Yeah. Totally. A, that was one so of the, I, I made the same note. That's like one of the rewarding things of rewatching the show. Uh, the second time is like you understand where you're going. And so it like that musical cue and actually the very first scene of the show, like her dad's wearing the sweatshirt and like it, there's like a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff that's like show like signposting about where you're going. So I, I was going to get there because I completely missed it. And when that reveal happened in episode eight, that yeah. it's her dad's sweatshirt, that just... Yeah changed everything for me um, yeah. in terms of her like wearing that as a suit of armor 
um, to keep the world out and to give her distance. That was intense. Yeah. So we have Kat dealing with the fact that video has been posted. Um, And I love this ride, her denying it, her taking out the principal when he tries to uh, give her a hard time. Uh, and and just dealing that I like Cat through this entire series. I think is one of my favorite characters. Cat is She's a hero, great. man. She she really owns it. Like she really, I love the cat episode, uh, which I guess is like the third one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And she she's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, she's uh yeah she's uh she's a force. Uh, I really love the thing different things she discovers sexually and her ability for when at first in this episode she was really shamed. Mm-hmm. Um, she was publicly shamed. She found a way to turn that shame into something more powerful for her, which is great. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Rue and Jules go on a great bike ride and, and they're just like, they're in the bloom of love and, and really having a great time. Can I just ask, where are they? I thought it was LA with all the palm trees, but then suddenly there are these like really big mountains, like we snow. We couldn't decide capped. either. It's, yeah, it I is, think it is LA. It's LA, yeah. Like confirmed locations include Sony Studios in Los Angeles, Del Amo Fashion Center in Torrance, and Ulysses S. Grant High School in Valley Glen. So it's like the Valley. Um, okay, but where are like, the mountains from? Good question. I mean, I think it's like the uh, you know the mountains on the other side of the Valley, right? I, I just didn't expect to, to see so much snow up there. So I was maybe I was yeah. surprised. Maybe it's heightened. I don't know. You know, maybe it's they funny coming like, down. Crystal grew up in the Central Valley, grew up in Visalia between Fresno and Bakersfield. So, Mm. you know, farther from LA. Um, But like the scenes of them, like in the orange orchards, uh, where there's like the fog in the fourth episode. Yes. She was like, this is like, this is some shit that like I have seen. Like, cause there's this Thule fog that happens in the Central Valley where like you get these foggy conditions during some part of the year uh, and they have all the orange trees and it's like super hot in summer. So everyone dresses really scantily. And like, you know, it's like, that is definitely the vibe of where she grew up. There's that shot of Jules from behind. She's riding her bike through the orchard and it's completely black but then there's a huge bright spotlight on her. Yeah. That is obviously not from anything natural. Right, it's just right. this amazing heightened view of her in the orange trees that was gorgeous. That was pretty Lynchian. That had like some real like mm. Mohan Drive vibes for me. Mm. So uh, let's see. So we have uh, Rue goes to uh, Fez's house to get drugs. Fez tries to get her to leave before his dealer shows up. And this is the first introduction of things kind of getting away from Fez. Um, So Mouse shows up with the face tattoos all over the place and he makes her take fentanyl, which killed Prince, killed Tom Petty. Um, Like this is a really, really bad drug um, that is, is way too intense. And she just sort of like falls apart. Fez has to bail her out by just throwing money at the problem uh, and save her. But that was, that was really upsetting. And then it goes straight from there into the attack of Nate on Tyler and this was the part where April just got up and walked out of it. Like she, yeah, I had to. It was a tough. <laughs> she one. didn't say anything. She literally just got up and walked out. And I just start apologizing, texting, like I'm so sorry. This is horrible. Yeah, the, I mean, it's it it's really also good. like this again is like a key and like I you know it's it's fitting. This is Nate's episode. It ends like sort of with with him doing this and like he is reenacting like what his father does, right? Like the kneel down is a very like kind of like you know overtly kind of sexually oh, dominant yeah, thing. Fascinating. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, he's like, this is him like kind of reacting out this trauma um, in this obviously very inappropriate way. 
So Jules is texting with Shy Guy 118 for days and starting to fall in love. And the big reveal for the finale of this episode is the fact that it is Nate. Yeah. Um, and my final note just says, this show makes me feel physically ill. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly a comfortable watch, but no, like, it's not. I, I don't know. Like, so I guess I go back to like the, is this gratuitously violent and upsetting, like just to like fuck with the audience, like using like teenager, like teenager stuff to just like kind of like mess with people. And I just don't, I guess like if you say it is, then you're indicting like kind of a pretty broad swath of historical culture. Like, you know, as an example, like if I were to tell you um, that there is a movie of, you know, a 13-year-old girl who has sex and then her lover kills her cousin and then they both die. That sounds fairly ridiculous, but it's also Romeo and Juliet. Like, you know, and so like, you know, there's this I is, saw that coming. I like this it. Is yeah, not I, I got that good. one. This yeah. is not like, you know, this is not like ahistorical in terms of its setting. Right. It's just, I, I think no matter what it is, like no matter what it is, the next generation, like either we don't remember what it was really like when you're that age or the next generation's like, oh my God, what they're doing is so bad. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it is the the internet stuff does legitimately terrify me. One point that one point Crystal raised was that like the Tyler, the the shy guy Jules relationship like basically only happens because of technology. Like there's no way that he could like yeah. kind of set this whole thing up except for the, except for uh, entrapping her with like, you know, with technology. But then I thought of Cyrano. Like, that's what I was going to say. It is sort of like a super <laughs> fucked up Cyrano in which instead of like, <laughs> instead of like, you know, like pretending to be whoever he's, you know, doing something bad. Yeah. He's doing bad things. Yeah. It's like opposite. Yeah. It's opposite. We're going to start to pick up, uh, the pace here a little bit as we as we move. So we have in episode three we have made you look, and this one starts out with cat as our focus. And okay, this is phenomenal. This this is maybe my favorite thing in the whole show. The One Direction anime. Yes, the One Direction anime <laughs> fanfic oh <my> is absolutely <laughs> the best thing in the whole show. I couldn't like I've forgotten again. I'd forgotten this was in there, and it is such like a. It is such a ridiculous like statement of what they're trying to do in this show that uh, I love it. The first night, a 7,000 word fic that was largely credited with starting the Larry Styles and conspiracy theory. <laughs> that Harry Styles and Louise Homelson of One Direction were secretly fucking. It's the first night of the Take Me Home tour. Louis was unusually nervous. His mouth was dry, palms sweating, when suddenly he felt the press of Harry's body from behind. Oh! Harry can sense the nervous tension running through Louis' stiff body. What are you doing? To calm your nerves. You're my best mate, and this is what mates do for one another. But Harry, what if someone sees? Let them. As Harry takes Louis into his mouth with surprising ease, he begins to suck his cock with torturous finesse. The music, the animation, like, and and the fact that the end of it is the shot of her sitting there looking at it, and then they they sort of come down to her sitting on the sidelines, yeah. uh, in gym, like that was. Also, I Zendaya's fake British accent. This is what mates yeah. do for each other. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> 
Love everything about yeah. that. Yeah. This is the best episode, I think. Of the of the first four, this is the best episode. Just like, like this the has, intro part? The of the whole episode. I think the whole episode is one of the strongest ones. Because it has this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I think the next episode is the strongest of the entire series. Well, the cinematography so, so far in the fourth one is really strong. But like this one yeah, has the anime, great. it has the yeah. dick pic PowerPoint, it has the yes. Bitcoin the speech. Dick pic PowerPoint is a real highlight. Speak yeah. on it, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it true? Does it make sense? Does it like, how does it? Like- I just think, uh, well, I could talk about this for a while, but like no one has ever, um, I think that like you're never sitting around with your young friends and being like, you know what I could really, you know, really have a hankering for, <laughs> <laughs> you know, really make my day. <laughs> That's not not happening. No one wants yeah. It's very funny. It was very funny. I I like that whole like little montage. The best joke in there I think is like if you see a medieval sword run. Like the medieval yeah. sword is amazing. Totally. That was horrifying or terrifying. Just as a a style a style note, she has a delightful jumpsuit on uh yeah. for doing this. She has this great maroon jumpsuit that she just absolutely yeah. kills. Oh, my favorite root character, uh well, I maybe we might I don't know if this is episode 4 when she turns into the Stabler like detective. Morgan Freeman. That's in that's, that's in episode later. seven. Oh, I'd yeah. forgotten yeah, okay. about that. That oh. was my that was my favorite. No. Keep looking, you mook. I'm Morgan fucking Freeman, and this is the beginning of the third act. Well, doesn't that seem like the first logical step? Honestly, Howard, this whole thing is beyond logic. Yeah, oh so God. good. Yeah. yeah, she is she is absolutely uh terrific in this. And and we have a, a big deal in that Rue has been clean for 60 days. And mm-hmm. after kind of falling apart on fentanyl and having Fez calling Jules to pick yeah. her up, Jules is the only one who can hold her accountable, right? She basically just says, You have to clean your shit up. Um and I do love we talked about Jules and Shy Guy. The cinematography through those whole segments, especially the scenes where they're texting each other and you have split screen and you see them separately, but then they they come into the same room and sit down or they pass each other in the hallway. Well, this is also the one the episode that has the like where it pulls up and they look down on the house. Uh, and yes. you see like the floor plan of the house with no roof, which is pretty ridiculous. I don't remember the part. What the which house? Her house. It's like it's her on her bed and the camera cranes oh, up yes. and it shows like her it shows like the you know basically like the house has no roof so you see like the floor plan like the walls like the segmenting the house. Yeah, that was great. It's like gratuitous. It's similar to Life Aquatic with seeing the side of the yes, boat yeah, uh, open. Yeah. Just just brilliant. So there's a thing in the cinematography like which basically the camera is never handheld. Like it's always mm. on a dolly and it's always on a crane. Like it's like the the movement of the camera is this very like smooth like deliberate, like well planned out thing. There's all like there's a couple times in which there's a camera on a handheld and it's very noticeable. Um, otherwise, it's this very like dreamlight moving, constantly moving shot. In this episode, also, it has this ridiculous shot where Cat, I think it's this episode where she walks into school and she's walking down the hallway and the camera pulls all the way back so that she's like just smaller in the in in the context of the hall, like walking down. Everyone's like looking at her. It's amazing. It's like it's absolutely amazing what they do. The reaction the of the reaction of everybody. So that's the scene where like uh, X gonna give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like people are just freaking out watching her walking in, and yeah. she is in her full power. Just yeah. 
That both that X yes. is gonna give it to you, and Fezco opens a door, opens the door in a liquid swords T-shirt, mm, which again yeah. is like prover, yeah. further hints that this is really a white Gen X. Uh, this is for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is. We know who this is for. So, so Marcel Rev is the cinematographer DP for the pilot, and mm. for sure for episode four. I'm not sure on episode three. Um, but just does does a phenomenal job through through that whole process. So love all of Cat with Cam Girling and the concept of her beginning to get more of her own control and power. And this is where she goes to Fez and Ashtray for crypto advice. <laughs> yeah, which which is just amazing. Also, also worth noting. Yeah, that was incredible. That uh, another another good one in here is Cat's like love interest of. Austin, you know, the guy who plays Ethan, Ethan, Austin Abrams, he's a delightful little actor. He's kind of the poor man's Timothy Chalamet. Like, cause he's got like, kind of like, he's like the short, the short poor man, the short discount Chalamet. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, but like, but like worse. <laughs> not, Do you not like Chalamet? No. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm not like a huge fan, but I'm not like a anti, but like, I'm just saying this guy is a little bit. Like, he just plays, it's not, like, Chalamet is, like, one of those people that, like, you look at and you're like, oh, you're attractive. Right. Like, you don't look at this no. guy. But you're, you're like, oh, you're probably nice. <laughs> That's rough. That is rough. So you're saying not disarming. <laughs> yeah, he gives not, off nice vibes. Like, probably nice. I love the joke, though, that she was making around, um, like, that he gave off school shooter, shooter vibes. vibes. The shooter yeah. vibes is great. The shooter vibes is great. And then he says, he's like, he's like, what's, she's like, I don't know. What's your Reddit usernames? He says, incel uprising. (laughs) That was so good. Oh my God. What a great show. What a fucking great show this is. It is just, uh, it's a fucking gem. I don't think it got enough. I don't think it got enough credit. Did it get any awards? It should have gotten all the awards. It's up for, it's up for Emmys and Zendaya is nominated for best actress. So yeah, I think it's going to, I think it's going to do well. Is that it? Wait, I don't know. No, no, there's a bunch. It's, okay. it's like f- right. 15 or something. All right, I'm not worried so, about it. So meanwhile, Rue is falling for Jules hard. And, you know, again, she's been keeping it on the straight and narrow, but then she goes to get water and she sees meds on the counter and she's just like immediately cracks. Like there's no question about it. She takes the drugs. She rides high to Narcotics Anonymous and she gives her her statement. And then uh, firefighter Ali drug addict calls her out immediately after and offers her help. And that was just amazing. Him laying it on her in terms of what the impact is to Gia and her family. Like that's the one leverage. And he insightfully understands exactly how he can move her and get her to take this stuff seriously. Yeah. I really loved that. Uh, I really loved that scene. I love that, you know, uh, we can identify our own and I know I, you're not fooling anyone. But she's not ready yet. So this is important, right? So he, he, he brings the truth. She walks away. She goes to see uh, Jules, who's excited about meeting Tyler. And Jules says, I hate everyone else in the world but you. And then Rue kisses her. But immediately, like as soon as it happens, she runs away. She freaks out. She goes to Fez. And to me, one of the best scenes in the entire series is when she's at the door banging on his door for him to sell her drugs and he won't do it. Fuck you, Fez, okay? Are you doing this because you care about me? If you gave a shit about me, you wouldn't have sold me the fucking drugs in the first place. But you did, you fucking did. 
door! Open the door! Open the door! Open the door! You did this to me! You fucking- You did this to me, Ben! You fucking ruined my life! That's tough. Yeah, it was really intense. He, uh, it's a very, I don't know about y'all. I mean, I, I think, uh, Jason, you might be right because they may be writing to a type, but I really related to, like, I knew all these people when I was younger. Yeah, sure, there wasn't the revenge porn and some of the things that were very, um, some of the things that are very, um, you know, Gen Z. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburb, suburbs of New Jersey. And I knew like nine fezes. I knew, <laughs> I knew none of this. Uh, yeah. I, I did not, uh, I was never drunk outside of a family Passover Seder until I got to college, uh, mm. let alone having done any drugs. I was very busy with the math team and the debate yeah. team. And mm. I did not know, I did not These know anyone were- who was having sex or doing drugs or drinking at all. Uh, and so. The math team. Not, I mean, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There might have been some bangers on the math team that I just wasn't, I just wasn't invited to. So I started, I started young life at my high school. I know what that is. Yeah, fundamentalist Christian. Uh, yeah. you know, that was where I learned to play guitar and you know, like played music. And I was a, a fundamentalist. Um, so for me, the cool move was to go to the party. But on the way, I would go to the Seven Eleven and I would buy a quart of Nestle chocolate milk, Nestle Quick. And then I would put it in a paper bag so I could walk around the party and I could be like, hey, what's up? And I could be drinking my chocolate milk and no oh one would God. know. Wow, oh my God. that is, I kind of wish I could do that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found out. It just I makes sense. really nice behind you guys. I found out like in college that someone I knew who was in like calc in my calc class came to school on acid. Mm. Uh, and like the idea that that could even happen in my universe was like so mind blowing to me. I was like, how could that, like, it just seemed like a rip in like the space time continuum that that like was part of the same high school I went to. I also found out like later that someone like two kids had like sex in the pool in like the high school pool, which is gross. Yeah. But like, uh, I was like, I can't even believe, like, I can't believe like someone had sex at school. That's impossible. Like how could that yeah. even happen? So I don't know. I don't know. I didn't yeah. go to, I didn't go to these. I didn't go to these parties. Yeah. I knew an engineer. I knew an engineer who in the 90s was macro dosing at work. <laughs> macro is, dosing. is macro dosing just doing drugs? That's just doing just, drugs? Just like take, <laughs> j- taking full doses of LSD and okay, also okay. writing okay. unbelievably efficient code and like just like creating incredibly high I'm not an addict. Software. I'm a macro doser. I love that. Rue exactly. is such a macro doser. She's a macro so. doser. <laughs> All right, so Rue, after failing to uh, to get Fez to open the door, she calls Ali, and that's the end of se- that's the end of episode three. So I want to I want to kick into episode four, which is my favorite. So this is Shook Ones Part Two, yeah. aka the Carnival episode. So yeah. like to me, this is really really that's the a high mob point. deep reference. If yes. you want to know, okay. if you want to know where we are, and nice. Yeah. So it starts with Jules at age 11 doing a tour of a facility and getting admitted to the unit. All of that is like just horrifying. Um, oh God, yeah. That was fucking horrible. Uh, yeah. I was, that was the most emotionally affected I was. In the whole, that, that whole thing just seems so fucking horrible. 
But you do have her transitioning, uh, describing that at 13, seeing guys in gas stations and cars. And that was all like really difficult to, to watch and, um, to try and, to try and process. And then we get to Rue and Ali getting pancakes and Rue says, this, this part was very tough for me. She says, there's nothing I'm passionate about. Everyone is fucked up and lost with their families, their hashtag activism. Like she basically just says she's taking heat, but the reality is everyone is, is that same way. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) He is a good character. He's really good. So then we cut to the carnival. The carnival. Yes. So we have this great embrace and reconciliation from, uh, from Rue and Jules. But the thing that struck me, and by the way, I'm going to be playing this for the next 10 minutes of this podcast. You, like People listening will be listening to it right now. The score is unbelievable, yeah. and it's a single 10-minute track. Mm. And it takes these unbelievable waves of like going up high and then taking it back down. And it's Labyrinth. I, I thought yeah. it had to be somebody different, but man. It is very good, very good. It's the music. The carnival in general is so dimensional, and each of these characters have their own journey at the carnival. Even the opening shot, right, where yeah. they, like, they go up and over by the, by the Ferris wheel and from character to character. Okay, yeah. that, shot, that shot is ridiculous. That shot starts inside the pretzel stand with Ashtray and Fez and goes mm. out through the window of the pretzel stand and then follows uh, the characters around and then cranes up the side of the Ferris wheel. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous... I mean, it's not one shot. They stitch it together at a couple points, but like mm. it is a ridiculous effect. And like the, I think the music does the same thing. It takes you on this journey like through the thing. And that, that whole carnival is a set. Like they pulled all those rides from like various fairgrounds like across the state. Are you serious? Yeah. It wasn't a real place. Jesus. Yeah. This is serious really? business. Yeah. This is a serious show. Yeah. Yeah. I, will you... you, you are, you're both parents. Would you... Will you ever allow your children to go to carnivals like that? I mean, not the like sexual nature of this carnival, because like that's <laughs> something extra. What I mean is like these like rickety-looking high school. I mean, will my will my unborn daughter be sent to a carnival to take Molly and have some sort of weird sexual experience on? Have a you thought about that? Are you thinking about I was that thinking. Now? I I was thinking about it watching the show. I was like, it's like it's. I was like, it's. Oh man, we got like we're gonna have. Yeah, I was thinking. I was like, we're gonna have a daughter, and it's gonna be. Dad, what's your problem with the carousels? Yeah. Why can't I go Why on can't the I carousel? Ever go on a carousel? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, it's rough. It's. It, I. It definitely gives me anxiety. Uh, the internet gives me anxiety for the kids too, though, more than the carnivals. Yeah. The internet is the carnival you can never leave. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's always on. <laughs> so I, I do think that it was it was interesting that um, they do sort of pull back, right? I kept thinking things were going to go to like the worst possible right. awful things, yeah. right? So when Jules identifies Nate's dad and yeah. approaches him at the chili stand and he's rattled, um, Nate sees it, Rue sees it. I don't know, just like the way that they kind of resolve that, Nate, Nate's dad ultimately going to Jules and begging her yeah. not to ruin his life. Yeah. And Jules saying it won't be a thing. And then apologizing for even coming up there and him saying, it's okay. You know, like in that moment, they took care of each other. It was a good scene. And they like sort of build the tension of you think something bad's going to happen because 
that is one of the rare times in which the camera's not on a dolly. Like when it's following Cal, Cal's point of view as he's stalking Jules is handheld. And so it has this, like, all of a sudden it feels very different than anything else in the show because you're like, you're like jittery and like, you know, yeah, you know so you're like, it this really, it's going to be bad. He's going to, we know mm. this is a bad guy and he's going to do something bad. But yeah, it turns, it, it sort of gives you a momentary reprieve there. And then similarly, you think something bad is going to happen with Gia because we don't know where she is and she's hanging out with the kids and like what's going on there. And like, that ends up being okay too. I mean, this is, I think, the thing I love about the show is that, again, even though these were not my high school experiences as previously discussed, um, it still captures that feeling of everything really matters. Every social interaction is like life or death. You're either gonna Mm -hmm. like, you know, win or lose everything based on if you can be cool in this moment or not. And, uh, and like, you know, even though nothing really bad happens or nothing really amazing happens, uh, it captures that intensity so well. And through the combination of not just like what's actually happening on the screen, but like the music, the music, the way it's shot, it's incredibly well done tapping into this essential teenage moment that no matter what kind of experience or what generation you're from is universal. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really was amazing. So this does have an important setup for the rest of the series, which is Maddie and Cassie do Molly um, and decide to be, quote unquote, the baddest version of themselves for the rest of the year, whatever it is. Maddie pushes over the chili container um, for Nate's dad and, um, and Nate chases her down, pulls her aside, chokes her. And that was an interesting moment where there is a little bit of vulnerability in Nate and you sort of get a, this slice of him as this damaged person. Like his fear. Yeah. His fear and his like he doesn't know what he's feeling. Like, um, you know, the next scene, I'll just I'll just jump there. You know, the the finale of this is Jules at the lake waiting to meet Tyler, shy guy, um, who it turns out is Nate, and he shows up and he tells her that he's not the person that she met at the party and that he really cares about her. Then he kisses her, and in that, I was like, what is going to happen here? Is he going to kill her? Is he going to beat her up? Like. Like what is going to happen? And in the end, he he kisses her, and I can't tell what his emotional state is. Like I don't know what he really feels. Then the rage comes out, and he's going to hold her uh, and blackmail her, um, which is mm-hmm. intense. No, he's a complicated character. I mean, I think that's like yeah. why he's an interesting antagonist is because like he is dealing with his own trauma himself. He's a villain. Like his behavior is reprehensible. He's not someone we want good things to happen to. But like he's not just like. He's not he's not Christian Bale in American Psycho, where it's just like, oh, this is like a psycho killer. Like there's some yeah. there's more there's more there, which I think is interesting. Mm. And you do have uh, this episode ends with um, after being blackmailed, um, Jules goes to Rue's house and says he didn't look like his picture, and they kiss. And this is that shot where it's like going over the bed and then flipping them somewhere else and then coming back and going over the bed again, just sort of rotating around. That was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I also loved the line, like he he didn't look like his picture. I thought it was just so heartbreaking. Like I just found that like so sad. Yeah, because it was so like, oh, okay, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So we're going to leave uh, the remaining episodes as take homework for people to finish up um, on their own. I do just want to say that the the ongoing development of the characters as we go there, whether it's Rue or Jules uh, or Nate, is really phenomenal. Uh, and, and there is a hell of a journey. Um, towards the end, you come to uh, quite a big showdown uh, at the winter formal in the season finale. 
uh, of the episode. And I actually, I was kind of shocked because I thought this was like a one and done show. I didn't realize season two is actually meant to start shooting any time now. Yeah. You know, there is not a lot of resolution uh, in the in the season finale. Um, a lot of stuff is is left out. But I do just want to call out, um, you know, the final scene. Oh, I'm taking it all for us. I'm taking it all. I'm taking it all for us. Oh. And the sort of experience that she has that leads to the end of the of the season and just get your takes on this on the song the full-blown version of of all for us by labyrinth and zendaya um what did you guys make of that of that scene yeah quite often i'll just like watch that video because i love that song and i love that choir and just everything um her walking through seeing the family um and just the whole thing is amazing when the marching band came in i was like whoa yeah it's so good i want to watch it right now i want to put it on <laughs> yeah we're gonna end the podcast so we can watch we can watch the the video i know it's so great so so truly a, a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal thing so we are watching this uh this show euphoria to find out what we learned about dune 2020 so zendaya plays chani um in dune I know she has said she had a relatively small role in the first film. Jason, what's what is your key takeaway from Euphoria and uh, and your thoughts around? Dune? She's she's way more star power than Chani needs to be perfectly honest. Like Chani, like I think they I hope they found more to do with Chani than like because like Chani's like kind of a problem in the in the book. Like she's not like well enough treated. And so I hope they give her more to do. Um, I did see this week it was Zendaya's birthday this week. And mm-hmm. I I had a little special ceremony with some uh, yeah, smudge stick to start, celebrate? and then I watched some Euphoria. Took some Raid Five. Yep. <laughs> Did some Raid Five. Just really got really got lit. Took some Raid Five. But uh, Timothy Chalamet wished her a really nice birthday on Twitter. It was so sweet, uh, and I I liked that. So I thought that was nice. Her response was really sweet as well. Yeah. What did she say it back? Was, it was, thank, thank you. She was like, she was like, oh, thank you, friend. You're what? A, you're such a tremendous person. Uh, My see. heart is yeah. melting. Was it them or their publicists? Do you think? No, no, it was them. Come on, this, <laughs> these guys are real. Come on, come on, man. This is this is real feeling. <laughs> it was like you know, it was it was it was real feelings. She said, Timothy said, Timothy said, happy birthday to one of the most inspiring people I've ever met on my short journey. Someone with a strong strongest ethical character and a moral compass that is in harmony with a totally fearless creative abandon. Happy birthday, Zendaya. Hope your day is beautiful, friend. Wow. Dot, dot. Wow, yeah. that's and amazing. She said, she said, yo, you about to make me tear up over here, man. Thank you for this. I appreciate you very much. Dot, dot, dot. Perfect. The dot, dot, dot contains a lot of feelings, I felt. It does. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be great. She's going to be great as China. She's going to be great. No, no concerns. Okay. And then, and for Sarah, for you, just sort of like overall uh, thoughts on Euphoria as a work of art. Oh, I mean, I love it. I'm obsessed. I mean, even the, the font. Sometimes I go to mm-hmm. sleep thinking about the font and I wake up the next morning thinking about the font. Love that. They have yeah. the it's font beautiful. for the show, which is kind of like a, a, a serif font. And then they have the logo the for logo. the credits, which yeah. is the like the crazy, bold, intense metal. Yeah. So good. I love it. Thank you for pushing for this. Like I, we, we also want to watch, um, 
I think Greatest Showman uh, is another mm. Zendaya film uh, with Zach and Hugh Jackman, and she's uh, so good. A couple of couple other things. She's she is really a, a talent. Quick, we have to do one quick piece of business on yes. on this, which is who would Tilda Swinton play in Euphoria? If you had to recast one role <laughs> in this TV show with Tilda Swinton, who would that be? Nate's dad. So good. <laughs> Love it. It's so good. That's amazing. Wow. How differently would Cal. those scenes play? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Cal Jacobs. Oof. Amazing. I was going to go with Fez. Fezco is a really good oh, choice. interesting. Yeah. Which obviously is the other choice, or which is Ashtray. ashtray. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Great. Nailed it. Nailed it. Can you imagine if Tilda Swinton was played ashtray and then she got to do the line welcome to pretzelmania may i take your order (laughs) (laughs) that'll be 40 that is my favorite that's like can i take your order welcome to pretzelmania that is amazing (laughs) good god ashtray what a treasure letters Letters. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. So we have letters and voicemail. So we're going to start with Jason's going to read us a letter. Oh my God. Okay. Special shout out to Jeff Broussard, uh, who gave us a field report from seeing the trailer. And he writes, saw the Dune trailer last night. Well, it was more of a trailer for a trailer. It opened with the Gomjabar scene in the box. After the Reverend Mother says pain is in the box, there is a shot of an ornithopter landing, which looks awesome. And then flashes of major characters, Paul with the Fremen, Stilgar, Idaho, Jessica, the Baron, Chani, Raban, etc. What was of note was that there was no sandworms. The Fremen may have had the blue eyes, but I don't remember it standing out. After watching Tenet, and that's officially fucked my mind, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but that's what I remember. We appreciate you, Jeff, for this good field report. Uh, More field reports welcome as you see the teaser trailer. Nice. Thank you, Jeff. All right, we have uh, a couple of Dune Pod oh, voicemails, so I'm going to play these. This is the first one right here. Dune Pod, what's up, H, Jason, and esteemed guest? Uh, this is Corey from Austin. I was calling about the latest episode, Little Women. I really didn't have any interest in Little Women, but I did love y'all's episode, so it's great to hear you guys talk about it and you know get your hearing y'all's thoughts about these. Uh, Timothy's performance and actually all the great performances sound like in the movie. I still don't know if I'm going to watch it, but <laughs> I would like to say that thanks to you guys, um, I started watching Devs. So if we backtrack uh, to one so of good. your earlier pods where we talked about uh, Ex Machina, mm, so that which is also one. a great episode. I got me into Devs. Um, great series so far. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, I don't know if I know exactly quantum computing in fact i know nothing about it so it's kind of confusing uh, i would be interested to maybe throw that into the hat uh or to the ring of you guys uh thinking of possible pods kind of stuff um but i know you're really thinking about an additional pod just a single standalone and not another series so that being said uh devs the soundtrack is phenomenal i don't know if it necessarily belongs with this show i kind of have a weird sometimes it seems like overpowering for what's actually happening i love it though i I love all the the music that they use in the episodes and i guess if i was to recast tilda um in this show 
I would say uh, have her do a cameo as the Russian operative Anton. That I think that was the guy's name. He was only in like one two episodes, and he had he was the one that. Spoilers! <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to the next episode of the Doom Pod. And, of course, uh, we are super stoked for the movie to eventually come out. So great. That, was a great. that was a great voicemail. Thank you, Corey. I agree with his casting. That's Corey, who sent us incredible Dune custom artwork uh, as postcards and, and was our first ever voicemail. So, Sarah, it's uh, 12, 18 a.m., EST, can you please describe quantum computing? Yeah, let's get started. <laughs> You've done a podcast. You did a podcast on quantum computing already. Yeah, I forget. I was um okay. <laughs> here's my here's how I describe quantum computing. This is for your for, for the guest that left the voicemail. Okay. Corey. So okay, here we go. 30 seconds. You know how computers listen, like and it's like ones and zeros is all they understand. But what if it wasn't? <laughs> so good perfect that's great there you go all right stay tuned for, for quantum pod coming soon what a great uh, guest. Uh, to the paper keg radio syndicate all right here is our second and final voicemail and i think you'll recognize this voice hey guys uh it's catcher calling in like i said that i would um but actually i really did have a question uh, which stems from a quote I saw a few months ago from Denny Villeneuve, where he was talking about Star Wars and Dune and their interconnectivity uh, in terms of inspiration. And he mentioned that this was going to be an opportunity for him to make the Star Wars movie that he could he didn't see, and also um, that it would be sort of an adult Star Wars. So I'm wondering, you know, what does what is your sort of gut reaction to hearing those words? Uh, as uh, as big of fans of the book as I imagine he is, uh, does that resonate with you at all? Um, and sort of what do you what do you think sort of an adult Star Wars could be, and and how does Dune work its way into that? Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Hopefully, that question is not too confusing and uh, answered any way you like. Anyways, uh, have a good one. I've been a he- really enjoying the show. Um, it's a blast being a listener of it, and uh, just keep it up. So, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Catcher, thank you so much. We love we love getting that. Jason, your take on on adult Star Wars versus baby Star Wars? Uh, I mean, I I think that I guess it makes sense. Like, I think what they, I mean, the the thing about Star Wars in terms of how it exists within the science fiction world is that it's you know it's often called space opera, and so it's like soft science fiction, right? Like, it doesn't have like real. Like, I mean, people have you know, created Wikipedia pages about Star Wars to explain how lightsabers work and all of that. But it doesn't really matter in terms of how you enjoy the the show. Like it's about the broad spectacle of it. And I love Star Wars and uh, and you know, I'm an adult. But I think what I think what that means uh, in terms of like what an adult Star Wars means is that they're gonna do a lot more on like the hard sci-fi side of like you have to kind of understand like you know the history of this world, what the Butlerian Jihad is, and like you know what um, you know how Benny Gesserits work and how like Mentats work and like the kind of internal logic of those pieces um, in a way that maybe isn't necessary because Star Wars ultimately you know 
works for small children. Um, I don't think Dune is going to work. I don't think Dune is going to work for for kids. Um, Dune is going to work for teenagers. For for both are good. Maladjusted teenagers on drugs are going to get Dune very well. We just love we just love Catcher. (laughs) Catcher's Catcher's a great great host and now voicemail lever. Awesome, Catcher. Thank you so much for for sending us voicemail. Well, that brings us uh, to the end, Sarah. Like, Sarah, what are you up to? What's going on in New York? What's next? Give us a plug for for something good going on. Like in New York in general, or for me personally? <laughs> yeah, tell us about tell us about what's fall going to be like in New York. <laughs> oh yeah, Cuomo keeps posting thirst traps. No, oh. he's, <laughs> he's he's promoting his book. We're all just here for uh, Cuomo's book tour now. Amazing. Oh, Seems bleak. <laughs> All right. Well, so Jason, I'm going to cut you loose to, uh, you know, go back to planting the bloodlines across uh, all of Europe. And Oh, speaking of which, speaking of my bloodlines, I uh, want to give a small shout out. This is not maybe the most appropriate episode to do it on, mm. but small shout out to my 10-year-old nephew, Soren, who uh, found out I had a podcast this week and that like it was like legit in Spotify. Uh, and he was super impressed. He has no relationship with Dune, but I feel he could be a future sand writer. Fan future future sandworm writer, and uh, I'm 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 stoked that he he found I'm stoked that he thinks I'm cool that we have a podcast <laughs> in Spotify. That is great, hey Soren. That is amazing, and I just want to say, Soren, Soren, <laughs> if you're listening, please don't listen to this episode. Yeah, but do give us a five star review. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason and Sarah for a really fun conversation. Next week, we take a walk on the wild side with Denny Villeneuve's 2013 thriller, Enemy. Watch this movie. You can thank me later. If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us at Dune Pod on Instagram and Twitter and share our social media posts as it really helps new listeners find the show. Dune Pod is a production of H Industries, a member of the Paper Keg Radio Syndicate. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>